Well, last week in Ephesians 5, 3 through 6, we looked at sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, a few other sins. And Paul says that those who practice that lifestyle, they have no inheritance in the kingdom. They're not Christians. They're not part of God's family. Those sins represent a lifestyle of someone who has embraced sexual immorality with no true sense of shame. They've become greedy, covetousness for more. And there's no yearning for repentance because they found themselves worshiping at the feet of their own sinful desires. It's, it's become an idol. This lifestyle is their idol, and it's evidence of a, of a life that's never been transformed by the power of the gospel. So in a sense, they are enemies of God's plan to bring the lost to repentance. And as we get into our passage today, which is Ephesians 5, 7 through 14, if you want to go ahead and turn there. As we get into this passage today, Paul gives us another therefore, all right? Paul has been thereforing Ephesians since chapter 1, right? We keep end up, he keeps forcing us to go backwards. We're never going to get out of Ephesians because Paul keeps making us therefore. And, and, but I'm moving forward today. Therefore, look at look in verse 7. Therefore, do not become partake, partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, do not become partners with them, verse 7 says. Now, first we need to determine, this is super important to this text, right? And I, and I've, I went back and forth where I should even bring it up, but we have to determine who Paul is referring to here. And I'm only bringing it up because I didn't want any, kick, any kickback from some of you uh, theologians in the room. Partners with who, right? Believers who are in sin or unbelievers, that's what we have to determine here in this text. And it may seem obvious to many of you, but it can be confusing to some. And unlike 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul says, don't even eat dinner with someone who claims to be a Christian, but practices habitual sinful lifestyle, there's nothing in this Ephesians text that would lead one to believe he's talking about sin among believers. This is, there's not instruction to stop practicing sin that's currently happening like there is in some other, other books, particularly 1 Corinthians. It, it's all clear instruction about what to avoid. And we see him, him contrast those who are in darkness and those who are, in, who are light. And this is who he means when he says, do not partner with them. Do not partner with those who are darkness. Right? So what is exactly does he mean to partner with people who are practicing these sins? Some translations, one particular translation, um, uses the term don't associate with them. Um, don't associate with sinful people. But if this is referring to unbelievers, that's a terrible translation. It, it, it actually goes against Christ's own teaching about, about um, how we share the gospel. How are we going to share the gospel if we have no associations with people who don't follow Christ? This is not an issue of association, right? And in a few minutes, we'll, we're actually going to look at how this plays out in the life of a Christian. Uh, but 
Personally, I don't find it necessary to parse Greek words in sermon delivery, right? I know a lot of pastors feel like they have to get up and say, you know, in the Greek, this means blah, blah, blah. And to me, a lot of times, instead of it coming across as instructional, it comes across as braggy, right? I've got, I took Greek classes. I've got the same software they've got, right? Um, and, and you can get the same software too. Uh, it's not that hard. Um, but in this passage, there is a little, there's something you would see in the English if you were paying close attention. But in the Greek, it becomes very apparent, and I do want to point it out. The Greek word here for partners in verse 7 is actually sumetikos. And it's only used one other time in all of Scripture. This, this word's there's two times in all of Scripture, both of them in the book of Ephesians. And I think if we look at the other place that it's, this word is used, you will see exactly how serious Paul is taking this issue of partnering with unbelievers. Look back a few chapters at Ephesians chapter 3. At this particular spot in Ephesians 3, Paul has revealed the great mystery that the Gentiles are part of the family of God, grafted in. And read with me in in chapter 3, verse 6. It says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Partner in verse Five verse, chapter 5, verse 7, and partakers in the promise in 3, 6 are the same word. Do not partner with them. Do not become partakers with their deeds, their goals, their plans. And I got to thinking about this today. You might view this, a, a, a good way we can view this today, a context we might understand is, is don't become an accomplice, complicit, collusion, if you want to grab a Current buzzword, right? Don't collude with the sinners. But I, but I think right now, probably the best way to view this word would be tied to identity. Now, there's a lot of talk about identity these days. A lot. It's all the rage. It's a buzzword. It's become a cultural catchphrase to address lifestyles that are generally considered outside of cultural norms, which can change. The language of identity has made certain conversations very, very difficult as of late because it's hard to argue with somebody who's just claiming identity. A couple of years ago, y'all probably remember this story because it was huge and, and it was so absurd that it, it, was, it ran for weeks. Rachel Dolezal, y'all don't remember her? She was found to be lying about being African American. Uh, using spray tans and hairdos, she became president of a chapter of the NAACP And once she was caught and found out to not actually be African-American and questioned on it, you know what she said? Well, I identify as a black woman. And everybody was like, that's, that's, it's absurd, right? But she doubled down on it. She was in an interview just a couple of weeks ago, and she's still, to this day, that's her identity. And the, the entire transgender discussion right now is tied directly to identity, they're, they identify as something other than their gender at birth. And, and you, you, you try and wrap your brain around the logic of that, and, it make, it, and you struggle with it. And we all struggle with it because it, it logically doesn't make sense. So you're not even having the conversation. It's, it's super hard to even argue against. This identity conversation has caused thousands of Internet memes, some of the funniest things I've seen. Everybody joking from being, uh, I identify as an A student, 
Uh, I identify as a tack helicopter that was been floating around, or I identify as a billionaire, right? I identify right now as somebody who doesn't owe taxes, right? Yeah, what do you, how's, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think the IRS is going to be okay with that. When Paul writes that we should not partner with those who practice immorality, he, he's having an identity conversation, not in exactly the same way, but he, he tells us in verses 1 and 2 that we have our own identity, We are partakers in the promise of Jesus Christ, so our character not only should reflect that identity where we imitate God, we shouldn't be found as sympathetic accomplices to those who have a different identity, namely unbelievers, those who practice a sinful lifestyle and identify in that way, no, no matter what label they carry. This is not an issue of labels. This is an issue is I identify as a sinner. He's not saying we shouldn't have association with them. That goes against other scripture, and it logically makes no sense because we would literally have to not be on earth for that to happen, right? You'd have to make sure that when you go to work that nobody there is an unbeliever, right? And that's just not, that's just, illogically, it just makes no sense. But there are those who willingly practice the sins listed in verses 3 through 6 of chapter 5 to the point where they proudly carry that identity with these sins. And we can't find ourselves associated with that identity. Sympathetic accomplices to those who desire to walk in darkness. A prime example are, are Christians and denominations who ignore the clear teaching of Scripture to, that, and, and embrace homosexual marriage. But you know, nobody around here is making that argument, right? I haven't had one of you come up to me and say, Pastor Scott, I think we need to rethink our stance on on gay marriage. So I thought, what could I bring up that might hit a little closer to home? So I, for one, am not going to make any excuses for what Donald Trump said on those Access Hollywood tapes. Man, it is so quiet in here. I'm not going to make zero, none, no excuses by making a comparison to what another politician said or another media person said what another president did while he was in the White House, as if that somehow makes it okay for Donald Trump to say what he said. I'm not buying the locker room talk excuse. It was crude, it was sinful, and it was literally the example of what Paul said don't do in Ephesians 4, 5, 4. And I'm not making a judgment about President Trump's salvation. I have some opinions. Um, I'm saying I'm not going to let politics drive my ability to speak on whether or not something is sinful or not. Because Paul said right here in Ephesians, and also in First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, we are not to partner with or become accomplices in the sin of unbelievers. And making excuses for why any sin is okay or the lesser of two evils goes ex- exactly against what Paul is instructing here in Ephesians. And I'm not talking about voting, Right? I'm talking about sinful behavior. We don't want to be partners in their sin. And this should cause us to consider everything from what we purchase tickets to, to who we date and who we marry. Right? It runs the gamut. Because although current society claims if you don't agree with everything I do, you're intolerant and unloving, I can tell you adults can refuse to be involved and sympathetic and supportive of sinful practices and still deeply care for the person. To say you can't is childish foolishness. Now, Paul gives us our motivation to do this. He's, he's, he's worked through this 
all through Ephesians, this, this issue of instruction and motivation to follow the instruction. And right here we get another motivation. Verse 8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, i got to be honest with you. Paul really steps up his game here in verse 8. This sentence is one of the most succinct analogies of what happens at conversion in the Scriptures. You were darkness, now you are light. The wording here is powerful. Paul didn't say seek the light, live in the light, follow the light, or even be the light, right? I think there's songs that have every one of those phrases in it. You know what Paul said? He said if you're a believer... If, if you've been given the gift of faith and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you are light. Not like Buddhism or New Age mysticism that says be your own light. That's not possible because if you're not in Christ, you're darkness. But you are light in the Lord. This is what happens at conversion. You are transformed from being darkness to being light. And this only happens because of the indwelling of the Spirit of God in you. But you are light. You, you once were in darkness, which represents things Paul has already addressed in chapter 4, like ignorance, envy, malice, deceitfulness, um, bitterness, anger, those things that he addressed. And if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, then you are still darkness. But if you are a true, repentant follower of Christ, you are light, which looks like Christ. Your, your life is light, not just around you, but in you because you are in union with the light of the word. We are now partakers in Christ, Ephesians 3, 6 says. That's what happens at conversion. And when the light of Christ shines on us, we become transformed into what he is and we know that he is light. We are reborn to a father who is light, therefore we are children of light. You're light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. So we're still walking in Ephesians. Walk is light. And what does walking in light look like? Thankfully, Paul always tells us. Instruction, motivation, here's what it looks like. Verses 9 and 10. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, personally... I love the fruit analogy that, that's woven all through Scripture. I love it. Right? It makes sense to me. I didn't grow up on a fruit farm, um, but been around. I like fruit a lot. Right? <laughs> but you know, Paul, Paul lists the, the fruit of the Spirit. You can name them. We love joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, long-suffering, those things, self-control. But you know what's interesting about fruit and this fruit analogy you know, you don't have to work to produce fruit. It's the most natural thing in the world for a fruit tree to grow fruit, right? It's not straining. Ah, give me fruit. You ever seen a tree? Uh, no, it's just fruit. I'm an orange tree. Here's some oranges. Now, you may need to prune some limbs, fertilize the soil, make it sure it gets water in the summer, summer those kind of things. Not right now. You probably should have your sprinklers off, right? You're going to flood like my backyard did last week. Um, but you know an apple tree doesn't work to make apples. It has one job. makes apples. And that's what it produces. And I've never heard of an orange tree struggle to make oranges. 
I've never been to an apple tree either and went, look at that. That apple tree's got oranges on it. It's never happened. It's not going to happen because an apple tree makes apples. And in Matthew 7, turn there, Matthew 7. I I want us to read this together. Matthew 7, verses, verse 15, turn there, flip there, scroll there, whatever you got to do, swipe. Matthew 7, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down, thrown into the fire. Yes, you can identify a tree by its fruit, and you can identify people by their actions. So you are light. Walk in light. And focus on what's good and right and true. You will produce the fruit of light. Now, you know that doesn't guarantee that you'll burn bright. I, I have a lemon tree. My, and I, 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 y'all know I don't do visual illustrations, but I've, this one was just too good not to do when I was thinking about it this week. I have a lemon tree in my backyard. We, we haven't quite been in this house a year. And I know the people in the house before us didn't care much about this lemon tree. And I don't care much about this lemon tree. I haven't fertilized it. I haven't pruned it. And it needs pruning really bad right now. I'm going to have to get to that. I, the soil it's in is terrible, right? It's just some kind of weird clay they pushed up on the hill. But, but it's got lemons on it, right? In fact, this is one of the lemons I pulled off this tree, right? Right? And I cut the bigger one open yesterday. This is, this is the, there, this is probably an average size one on that tree. And, and, and it's big, right? And it's yellow. And it's ripe. I mean, when I touched it, it fell off the tree. But you know there's an issue with this lemon. Because nobody's done anything to this lemon tree in years. If I cut this lemon open and squeeze it, That's pretty much what happens in all of them, right? Amazing. But you know, this is a lemon. And it looks like an orange, right? It's not, it's a lemon. I don't know why they're orange. I'll have to ask David. But David gave me a pile of these lemons last week. And David loves his fruit trees, right? He's got oranges. We, the, Lisa and the kids ate the oranges before I even got to them. I went in there and was like, where's the oranges? Oh, they were so good, you should have got one. <laughs> I'm like... So anyway, Maddie and I cut one of these lemons open last week, and these lemons were so good, you could have almost just eaten it like an orange. Now, this is a tiny little lemon, but David loves his fruit trees. He prunes them. He fertilizes them. He takes care of these fruit trees. And you know when you cut this lemon open, what happens? This little lemon... Both of those are fruit. 
One of them's huge. But which one gives you more juice? Right? One of those has been pruned and fertilized. It's been watered. It's been taken care of. And, and you're light, right? Paul says you are light. But you can be a dim light. If you're not feeding your soul with the word and pruning the sinful habits and focusing on what's good and right and true, you will still produce fruit of light. But what's it going to look like? There's, there's no such thing as a Christian that doesn't produce fruit. Your fruit may look like a dried up raisin, but you will produce some fruit. And, and the thing we need to ask ourselves, are, are we like this giant lemon? Well, boy, it looks good on the outside, right? It's, but it's all show. That on, on the inside, it's just a glimmer of what it could be. Because nobody's taking care of the fruit tree. Or you like the little lemon. The one that is so, I'm telling you, those lemons are so good, you could almost eat them like an orange. Then your mouth would be messed up. And you'd regret it later, but they're, they're that good. But Paul, he doubles down on his instruction in verse 11. He, he, he takes us a step further by telling us what happens when we walk in light. And this is really the meat of this text this morning. Verse 11, he says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, Paul tells us right here that the works of darkness have no value in God's eyes. That's why they're listed as unfruitful, fruitless. Because the darkness has no value to God and we are light. We, we are told to expose the darkness for what it is. And, and we see the shameful things that, that people do in public by those who are in darkness. And how much more shameful are the things they do in secret? Don't, don't, even, don't even go there in your mind. Don't even discuss them. But how do we expose darkness as light? How does light expose darkness? That's it. It's not complicated. There's no plan, no program, you know, not five steps to expose darkness. You live as light. Walk as children of light. And when you walk as light, you expose the darkness for what it is. Now, you can walk as light as a birthday candle or a lighthouse, right? You can be a match or you can be a military-grade LED flashlight. As the children's song says, you can hide it under a bushel or you can let it shine. Or you can follow Jesus' instruction, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And Paul has been teaching us for the last two chapters what it means to walk as God walks, to walk in unity and walk in holiness and walk in love and now walk in light. And we're going to be walking in wisdom next week. But it's all the same thing. Walk in light, produce the fruit of light, which means when the world does wrong, you do what is good and right and true. We don't participate in immorality. We don't approve of sin, any sin. We don't sympathize with sin because we're afraid of being called names or made to feel like we don't belong. You know why? Because we don't belong. This world is not our home. If you know the old song, we're just a passing through, right? 
Ephesians 2 says we are now citizens of a different kingdom, grafted in because we're now fellow heirs with Christ. We're here as pilgrims and strangers on a mission as ambassadors of a heavenly kingdom to preach the gospel and to live as light and expose the darkness. And i got to be honest with you, the, the light analogy in this text is amazing because at this point in history, there was no understanding of photons and how light travels and e- even that light was energy, all right? There's nothing in any of the scientific writings that even really deals much with light. But Paul understood something extremely unique about light to use it the way he did in this analogy. He knew what happens when light enters darkness in a way that's brilliant. See, light is heat and energy, and it's made of physical waves, right? Light has physical mass in some way, shape, or form. You can't see it, but it's there, I'm told, right? But Paul realized that darkness is not the opposite of light. It's the absence of light. Because darkness is nothing. There's no matter. There's no waves. There's no energy. It's as fruitless, it's fruitless. That's what Paul called it, unfruitful. But when you turn the light on in a dark room, the room fills with light, but you know nothing actually leaves? You know what happens? Darkness just ceases to exist. And when you walk in light, as children of the light, we will expose darkness and the darkness will cease to exist. And that's what we see in verse 14 when he says, for anything that becomes visible is light. This is part of our call to evangelism, to expose darkness to light. That's why we are told to be kind to one another, forgiving, self-giving, all through Ephesians. Why we don't partner with immorality. It's why the church must be a beacon of light, a bastion of holy living that mirrors the character of God on earth. Now, no one gets saved unless they come to God in repentance, repenting of sin and turning to Christ. But a person must first realize they need a Savior. They need to realize they need to repent. And God uses us as part of the means by which he reveals himself as light to others. And if you want to reach the lost world, it will not be by partnering their sin, by being supportive of their life choice to live in sin. You'll reach a lost world by standing on the word and trusting what it says. If if you want to see your friends and family come to Christ, it will not be done by overlooking sin. You, You want to see those in darkness become light? It will only be done by living as light and exposing the darkness that causes them to become light themselves and and not in a self-righteous or judgmental or reactionary way because those are also sins. But by speaking the truth in love and with patience, relying on the Holy Spirit of God to work in their heart, And then we can sing like Paul does in verse 14, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's what happens when we walk as light. Now, I want to end by sharing a funny story that Max Lucado wrote in his book, When God Came. And looking through illustrations this week, this, this was just too good not to share. Max Lucado says a few nights ago, an electrical storm caused the, the lights to go out in his neighborhood. And when the lights went out, he fumbled his way 
in the dark house to a storage closet where he knew they had some candles sitting on a shelf. He'd seen the candles in, the, in this closet before him. He's turning to leave. Uh, he, he, he decided he was going to light these candles, so he lit the candles, four candles in the closet, and was going to pull them out. And just as he gets ready to leave, he, he hears something say, oh, whoa, hold, hold on, don't take me out of here. He's like, what, what in the world, what was that? And he looks in the closet, and all four of these candles have faces on them. And one of the candles says, no, 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 don't, don't take me out. And he, he said, well, who, who said that? I, well, me, the candle. So he looked at the candle for a closer look, and, and, and he said, why, why would I not take you out of here? And he said, oh, no, 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 don't take me out of here. Uh, I, I'm not ready to leave this room. He said, but your job is to give light, and it's dark outside, and I need to light the darkness. He said, no, no, don't take me out. I'm not ready. I need, I need more preparation. He said, what do you mean more preparation? What? He said, yeah, I've decided I need to research this job of light giving so I won't give, make a bunch of mistakes. And, and you'd be surprised how distorted the glow of an untrained candle can be. And, and so he's, he's like, okay, well, there's three more candles. I'll just grab one of them. And he hears him say, no, 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 we're not going either. He said, what do you, what do you mean you're not going either? You, you really only have one job. Light, darkness. He said, well, that, that may be what you think, but, you know, I, I'm busy meditating on the importance of light. I've studied all the Hebrew about light, and now I'm even working on the Greek, and so once I'm done with that, I'll be ready to go light. So he says, all right, what about you other two? He said, a little short candle, kind of reminded him of Santa Claus, said, uh, I'm, I'm waiting to get my life together. I'm not stable, so I'm not, I'm not going to go be light. He said, all right, what about you, Candle? Said this beautiful-voiced female Candle said, oh, no, no, you don't understand. I, I don't help because I, lighting the darkness is not my gift. I'm a singer, and what I do is I encourage the other Candles to murmur brightly by my singing. And she broke into a rendition, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And then they all join in, this little light of mine, Right? So Max Cicada said, he said, I took a step back. He said, I looked four perfectly good candles singing this little light of mine and refusing to come out of the closet. So he said, he stuck his hands in his pockets, left. On his way out, bumped into his wife, and she's like, Max, where are the candles? He said, I, I don't know what to tell you, right? <laughs> he said... Where did you get those candles? She said, oh, you know, that church that closed down the street had a garage sale and we bought them there. Those are church candles. Right? Now, that's a silly little story, but it, it makes a pretty powerful point. We are light. We are our light. Not be light, not follow the light. You are light. What kind of light are you going to be? What are you doing as light? How are you walking as light? Are you a birthday candle or are you a flashlight? Are you hiding your light in a closet? Or are you letting it shine before men? And Paul has challenged us today to walk as light. Because you are light. But where we are going to have to get as a church is to decide what kind of light are we going to be? 
right? Are we going to shine? Are we going to be a beacon in this valley of a light that walks in holiness and does what's good and right and true? Are we just going to be birthday candles that kind of do our thing, come out once a year, celebrate, and then go back in the closet? Right? Let's pray.